Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years' experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way part-time pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the part-time pilot audio ground school podcast hey what's up everybody this is nick from part-time pilot hope you guys are having a fantastic day and wherever you are listening to this that it is a beautiful day even if it's cloudy out and you can't fly still uh things to be grateful for so hope you guys are are doing that feeling good and yeah, so this is episode number 11 of the Audio Ground School podcast. We're going to get into some more of section number three of the Online Ground School. Again, we just started section three back in episode 10, the last episode. If you haven't caught that, go check that out. And episodes one through nine covered the introduction and then operation of aircraft systems. Very important lessons there. So if you missed those, please go watch those as well. And in this, in this episode, we're going to talk about first lesson three of section three, which is on, which is on the topic of pilot in command. So what is pilot in command and what are the sort of the qualifications to be a pilot in command and the, and the privileges and limitations of being a pilot in command. Then we'll also talk about pilot for higher limitations. There's some rules uh, regarding that on, on what you can do as a private pilot. And then maybe if we have time, we might get into alcohol and drugs in lesson five. So a couple updates I just want to give you guys. Uh, there's another podcast that is on all the apps that you can listen to my podcast on. You can just search for it. It's called Student Pilot Cast and is by Bill Williams. And it's an awesome podcast that I highly recommend. I talked about it last episode. I just want to talk about it again. It's so it starting from episode one, he starts at the beginning of his training and he takes audio recordings inside the cockpit. So you can hear him talk to ATC, talk to his instructor. And it's almost as if you're flying in the cockpit with him. So you, you hear his successes, you hear his communications with ATC, you hear his, his, his miscues and his failures. And it just, it's really, really cool. I wish I, wish I had told him, I, I wish I had done, done this when I was going through my training. And he's even talking about sort of handing the baton off and keeping, keeping his podcast going. But like, having more student pilots go through it so that it's just consistent episodes of student pilots. So you get that different perspective. You have those different situations that you can hear these student pilots in, and it's like you're in the cockpit with them. It's a really, really cool thing. And he actually had me on an episode, episode 64. So if you love listening to my voice, yeah, right, go check that episode out. But we talked about how part-time pilot is trying to be there for the student pilot 
during their journey of flight training, trying to be the disruptor in the flight training industry where we really care about the student pilot and not just the profit. So go check that episode out as well. But even if you don't want to listen to my voice anymore, go check out all his episodes. It's really, really cool. Like I said, we talked about on that episode, we actually talk about the, the power of audio and why I started a podcast. I was already thinking about starting a podcast when I recorded that episode with him. And uh, it's just, and we talk about how, you know, on audio, it's it's like reading, right? And that your mind, when you read something, your mind has to create its own mental image of what you're reading. So your mind is forced to do the work to construct the concept of what you read into something, some physical sort of form in your mind. So your mind is forced to kind of make sense of it all when you read or when you listen to something. But the thing about listening to something rather than reading is you can listen to stuff while you're walking, while you're running, while you're exercising, while you're driving, while you're working. So audio is really, it really is a special, special format and a special media. So we talk about that a little bit. And then we talk about uh, things, things in flight training that part-time pilot is, has planned for the future and that we do to kind of help you guys manage your flight training, save yourself some some money, some time, and really plan for your future as a pilot. The other thing I wanted to mention is if you guys aren't following Part-Time Pilot on social media, you got to go do that. So on Instagram, you can go through and scroll to the bottom of my Instagram, and it's literally like a study guide. I post informational, informational diagrams, videos right now. I just got, just a little bit ago, I just got done doing a tutorial, a bunch of small tutorial reel videos on how to use the Sporty's electronic E6B. So example of all the sort of stuff you'll have to do on the FA written if you're using an electronic E6B. So that's on there. And then I'm also on, so that's at part period time period pilot. I'll put that in the show notes. We try to be as informative and helpful as possible on there. We also give updates on like our scholarship and th- other things that we're doing for, for student pilots, other scholarship listings, events in, in aviation that will be helpful for you guys, good you know product recommendations, all that stuff. It's completely designed to be informative and helpful. Like that's, I told Bill that I, I'm not a good salesperson. I, so I try to make things easy and helpful so that I don't have to sell my products. I don't have to sell following on Instagram. I just provide good content and, and it, people follow me themselves. So go check that out. And then we're also on, I'm on TikTok now. I feel a little old to be on TikTok, but it's a pretty cool platform. So it's just, it's just videos. If you're not on TikTok, um, maybe check it out. But there's, it's kind of like a mix of YouTube and Instagram. And the YouTube side of it is there's a lot of stuff you can learn on there, which is really cool. So just like Instagram, My TikTok reels are very informative and they always teach you something. So again, we're a great follow on there. And that's also part period, time period pilot. Wanted to keep it consistent. And then I mentioned YouTube, but youtube.com slash part-time pilot. No periods in that, just youtube.com slash part-time pilot. And we have a ton of videos on there. Uh, You could probably go through the videos on there for free and that's like a complete ground school. Obviously you don't have the quizzes and practice tests and custom report online community and live lessons that you get with our online ground school if you, if you went that route but and the endorsement but 
definitely it's a lot of great free content out there. So go and follow us on there. And with that said, those updates, let's get to episode number 11, the content of it. And we're going to go with lesson three of section three. Section three is pilot certificates, qualifications, and regulations. And lesson three is pilot in command. Okay, so let's get to actually operating the aircraft. To do this, we need to know who's in charge and what requirements they have in order to be in charge. We don't want our commanding pilot to be drunk or in a bad mental state. So the FAA came up with a set of rules we need to follow. First, let's talk about the pilot in command or PIC as it's often called. The PIC is the person in the aircraft who is ultimately responsible for its operation and safety during all phases of flight. I'm gonna repeat that because this probably might, good chance will be on your FAA written exam. The pilot in command is the person in the aircraft who is ultimately responsible for its operation and safety during all phases of flight. The pilot in command must have met the legal requirements and be holding the required documentation, as mentioned previously in our last episode, the documentation that you needed for your certificate of airmen. And here are some pilot in command responsibilities that you need to remember. The PIC is the sole and final authority for the aircraft. The PIC of an aircraft is responsible for determining whether that aircraft is in condition for safe flight. If an in-flight emergency requires immediate action, the PIC, pilot in command, may deviate from the operating rules of part 91, those are the FARs, part 91 that are the operating rules, which we'll get to, to the extent necessary to meet that emergency. No report of such deviation is required unless the FAA requests one. All right, so these are sort of three sort of bullet points of pilot in command roles and responsibilities that you might find on your FAA written, so I'm gonna repeat them. The pilot in command is the sole and final authority of your aircraft, so that's it. Whoever is PIC is the sole and final authority. There's no bickering about what to do. Shut up and listen up to the PIC. The PIC of an aircraft is responsible for determining whether that aircraft is in condition for safe flight. So again, if there's suspect weather, if there's something on the aircraft equipment that is suspect, and you and there's passengers or anything, and you have a pilot that is listening to your passengers, don't fly with that pilot. <laughs> One, he's breaking the rules because he or she, as the pilot in command, is responsible for determining whether the aircraft is in condition for safe flight. And you want that PIC, you want your PIC to have the confidence and have that authority. So if they don't, one, they're, they're not following the FAA, and two, you, you don't want to fly with someone who's taking advice from someone who's not the PIC. And then the third one is, if there is an in-flight emergency and it requires immediate action, the pilot in command may deviate from the operating rules of Part 91. So in other words, they may deviate from the rules or what, or what ATC is telling them to do to the extent necessary to meet that emergency. No report of such deviations is required unless the FAA requests one. So let's give an example. Let's say you are entering a, an airport for traffic pattern that's the standard traffic pattern, it's, it's left traffic pattern, has a 
It has a documented traffic pattern altitude of a thousand feet. And there is a giant flock of Canadian geese flying right at a thousand feet. And so you, you go full power and you climb up above these geese. Now, ATC might be like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, and you can tell them like, hey, you know, I, I deviated from standard traffic pattern because there was a flock of geese and it presented an emergency situation that I had to take immediate action for. And in that case, ATC is likely to say, okay, great, good job. You got back into the pattern afterwards. Is it safe now? Do you need any help from us? Blah, 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 blah. And they won't request a report from you. But some situations, let's say one of those geese happened, you know, God forbid, but happened to hit your, your aircraft and you had a bird strike and then you had to come down and land and you, you kind of cut off another taxiing aircraft or landing aircraft and, and then they crashed. Something, you know, awful happened, but you did what you had to do, right? Like you tried to get out of the way of the birds as fast as you could. One still hit you, then you you called Mayday, you, you landed, you tried to avoid hurting any and all people, you did everything that you could. You as a pilot in command have that right to, again, meet the emergency to whatever means necessary, to the extent necessary. But if something like that were to happen, the FAA is probably going to want a report on it. They're going to have the whole National Transport Safety Board, the NTSB is going to do an investigation. They're going to do so. That's kind of the two examples of why you you might have a report, you might not, if you're deviating from ATC or the rules of the FAA. So, what are the qualifications to be a pilot in command? In order to become a pilot in command, you must hold a current pilot certificate or hold a student pilot certificate. Okay, duh, that that makes sense. You have to have pilot's license if you want to be pilot in command. So let's break that down a little bit. So in order to receive a student pilot's license, you must meet the following requirements, which we have yet to talk about. We talked about the documents you have to have with you to be a student pilot. What are the requirements you have to meet? So one, you have to hold that third class medical certificate, the student pilot certificate and the government ID. Those, again, those documents that we talked about last time for your certificate of airman. You also have to be at least 16 years old to be a student pilot and have the student pilot cert. And you have to be able to read, write, and speak English. So when you sign up for a student pilot cert through IACRA, FAA IACRA account, you'll have to get it certified and signed by a, what's called a recommending instructor or an RI. This is where you the FAA requires that you meet with an instructor. And this is their way to make sure that no shady characters are and no people that are not qualified in the United States to learn to become a student pilot, this is their way to make sure. And I know, and I'm I'm not against anybody that that does doesn't speak English or or anything like that. But let I mean, let's be honest. It, it, Speaking English is vital and the communication is vitally important when you're flying in the United States. So that just, that's not, you know, discriminatory or anything. That's just saying, hey, this is where we are. So we all got to communicate. So you're going to have to speak and read and write good English. And your recommending instructor is going to 
when they meet with you, they're going to verify that you are who you are and that you are able to read, write, and speak good enough English so that you can you can communicate with ATC, you can communicate with other pilots in a safe and effective way. So then, so let's repeat that. So you have to have your doc, you have to have your documentation, which is a third class medical certificate, student pilot certificate, and government ID. Now this is to be a pilot in command. So if you're a student pilot and you're in your first few flights with your flight instructor, technically the flight instructor is the pilot in command. And technically you do not have to have that third class medical certificate yet. The time that you need to be fully qualified for a PIC is when you solo. So you really don't need your third class medical until you solo fly the aircraft because obviously you are then the PIC or the pilot in command. So you can start your flight training with just a student pilot certificate and your government ID and, and you know you meet your recommended instructor, all that, and you start your training, but you don't need to have that third class medical yet, you, but you will need it before you solo because that is required to be, again, like I said, the pilot in command. And then you have to be at least 16 years old and be able to read, write, and speak English. So again, you can actually be younger than 16 years old and, and fly with an instructor as much as you want. But once you get to the point where you got a solo, you have to be at least 16 years old. So there's actually, you know, a bit of a, a caveat there. But eventually in your training, you're going to need to solo and be the PIC. So that's, that's part of the progression obviously. So at that point, you have to have that medical certificate. You have to be 16 years old. And then like we talked about, read, write, and speak English. All right. So then in order, so now we talked about your student pilot certs, uh, what you need to be pilot in command with a student pilot's license so you can solo. And then now in order to receive a private pilot's license in the United States, you must meet all of the above. So all the stuff we just talked about, that's, you know, third class medical you have to have your government ID, 16 years old, read, write, and speak English, plus the following. You have to have the following minimum number of flight hours in a single engine aircraft. So again, we talked about this training, this audio ground school is specific to the normal category, the class you know, of, of airplane and single engine air, airplane. So yeah, if you're looking for helicopter or, or multi-engine or something, this, this is not the, the place for you. Uh, still lots of good information that will apply to you, but the, specifically these rules and regulations are going to be specific to the airplane single-engine land. So to be able to do that and receive a private pilot's license, you have to have 40 hours minimum of total flight time. Uh, that's if you're part 61. If you're part 141, if you're following the training under part 141 rather than part 61, so there's two different paths you can take. You can take part 61 or part 141. If you're part 141, you only have to have a total of minimum of 35 hours. Now, this might be like, oh, shoot, I obviously want to do part 141. And we'll get to the differences of the two. I think, I think we'll get to those in a little bit, but I'll, I'll just briefly touch them here in case we don't. But you might think that part 141 is definitely the one because it's five less hours. That's like, 
you know, that's like close to a thousand bucks cheaper, all that. But part 141, the reason that you can finish in, in five less hours is because the FAA has strictly reviewed that flight training course and syllabus and that your flight instructor has to follow a specific syllabus with specific ground training. So that means you have to do this ground lesson and this flight lesson before you can do the next ground lesson and flight lesson. You can't jump around. There's not the flexibility. You have to be in you know specific criteria and syllabus and, and timing of all the stuff that you learn. And this is big because having that flexibility, and this is why part 61, where you need 40 hours, is always just the default and assumed because it is the most popular because it allows you to have that flexibility. Part 141 is usually used by students who go to an accelerated flight school and they go from private pilot to IFR to commercial. They just bust those out and they, that five less hours is helpful there. And those are people who can dedicate, you know, every day of the week to flying. They don't have, you know, other responsibilities like a job or kids or something like that. So that's more so what, what part 141 is, so that full-time accelerated school. And part 61 is the most common for general aviation because of that flexibility. So let's say you are, uh, let's say you have a planned dual cross-country flight with your instructor. And you, on the way back, your instructor might say, hey, let's do, let's have you do, you know, some instrument flight. We'll have you put on the foggle so you can't see out the window. You have to fly by your instruments. And let's let's log your instrument time so you can meet that requirement, which we'll talk about in a second. Now let's kill two birds with one stone. Well, if you're in a part 141, that instrument flight might not be till later, or it might be, you know, before that or something. You might not be able to combine things like that or for another example is if you have a, a cross-country flight planned and the weather is not allowing you, you know, you might want to jump ahead to a different lesson like uh, specific landings, you know, no flap landings or soft field landings or and stuff like that. And that's that that might be a later lesson. You wouldn't be able to jump ahead at a part 141 because you have to follow that strict syllabus and schedule. So you wouldn't be able to stay in the pattern where the weather is okay and do that and salvage your day. So sort of flexibility and things like that. The other big one is the ground school. You have to take their specific ground school, which is usually much more expensive and do their in-class lessons. And online ground schools are so popular because of their flexibility, because they include like ours, not only the, the work on your own time, do it yourself stuff, but also like, we have the, the weekly live Zoom lessons, so it's a, the best of both worlds, and it's a lot, lot cheaper. So online ground schools are so popular. That's also another reason why people choose part 61. So anyways, that's two sort of differences, and the rules are pretty much the same. The main differences are kind of what I talked about with the FAA uh, syllabus and structure, and then the, the amount of required flight hours. So now that we've talked about that, let's sort of get back to it. So we talked about what you need to solo as a student pilot. You got to have the third class medical student pilot certificate, government ID, be like 16 years old, read, write, and speak English. Then in order to get a private pilot's license, you have to have all that stuff, but then you have to meet the minimum number of flight hours, which is 40 
hours for part 61, 35 hours for part 141. So let's, we'll talk, I'll mention the differences of part 141, but let's just assume we're talking about part 61. So of your 20 hours of dual flight time with your instructor, three hours of those have to be cross-country flights with your instructor, so three total hours. And then three hours have to be night flying at night. And of those three night flight hours, one of the night flights has to be across a country over 100 nautical miles in total distance. And then you have to have 10 total takeoff and landings to a full stop at night at the in the traffic pattern at the airport that you're either take, taking off or landing at for your night flights. And then also part of the 20 hours of dual flight, you have to have three hours of flight by reference of instruments. So that's what I talked about where they'll have you wear these foggles, these special glasses where so you can't see out of the cockpit. You can't see that visual flight picture. You have to use your instruments. So that's simulating bad visibility flying through a cloud, which you, you won't be... You won't be licensed to fly when you get pri your private pilot's license. You'll only be licensed for VFR. You'll, ha you'll have to get an IFR, additional IFR rating if you want to fly through clouds, but it prepares you for that emergency situation where you might get, if for God forbid, you get stuck in clouds or bad visibility, that you will have some sort of training that, that you can reference back to and remember to fly by your instruments because they're very powerful and that makes a, a great pilot. And then also of those 20 hours of dual flight with your instructor, three hours of flight within the last 60 days of your practical test. So that's just sort of before you take your practical check ride, you have to have three hours of flight within the last 60 days. So those are kind of like prep hours. You can't, you know, not fly with your instructor for, for a long time before you take your check ride. You have to have flown at least three hours with them in the last 60 days before your check ride. Okay, and then of the total 40 hours, uh, 10 hours of those have to be solo flight. That's for part 61. Part 141, you only have to have five hours of solo flight. And then five hours of which is cross country. And then if you're part 141, it's only three hours of cross country. So you have to have five solo cross country hours and then 10 total solo hours if you're part 61. And then of those five hours of solo cross country, one flight is at least 150 nautical miles total distance with a full with full stop landings at three different points where one of these segments is at least 50 nautical miles between takeoff and landing. So basically you have to have three points on your route. So what I did is I flew from San Diego to Palm Springs, from Palm Springs to Yuma, and from Yuma back to San Diego. So there's three points. San Diego, Palm Springs, Yuma. And one of those legs, which I believe was, I believe all the legs were, but um, one of those legs has to be at least 50 nautical miles between the time you take off and land. And then you have to have, uh, the total has to be 150 nautical miles. So the total from San Diego to Palm Springs to Yuma and back has to be 150 nautical miles. And then you have to have, full stop landings at the three different points. So full stop landing in Palm Springs, full stop landing in Yuma, full stop landing back at San Diego. And then also of your 10 solo hours. So those were those, we, we just talked about the, the solo cross country hours of which you have to have five hours for part 61. For part 61, you have to have 10 total solo hours. So 
other than cross country, that would be just like flying in the pattern. You have to have three takeoff and landings to a full stop at an airport with an operating control tower. So if you practice, if your flight school is at a place with an operating control tower, then no worries. Every single one of your flights or in landings will, you know, unless you go somewhere else on a cross country, will be takeoff and landing. So, you know, at an operating control tower. But if there's a lot of people out there who are, you know, training at an uncontrolled airport or, you know, more private airport. So if that's the case, then you have to have at least three solo takeoff and landings to a full stop somewhere where there is an operating control tower. So you get that practice with ATC. All right. And then you have to. So those are the minimum flight hours. So, again, we'll just briefly mention again, 40 hours minimum flight time for part 61, 35 for part 141. Of those total hours, 20 hours have to be dual with your flight instructor. Of those 20 dual hours, three have to be cross country, and then three have to be night flight. Of those three night flight hours, one night flight has to be across country over 100 nautical miles total distance. And then 10, you have to have 10 total takeoffs and landings a full stop at night in the traffic pattern at the airport. And then uh, again, of the 20 hours of dual flight you with your instructor, you have to have three hours of flight by reference of your instruments and three hours of flight within the last 60 days before your check ride. Then also, so outside of the dual flight hours, you have to have at least 10 hours of solo flight for part 61, five for part 141. And then of those 10 solo hours, five have to be cross country flight. That's part 61, three if you're part 141. And then of those five hours of solo cross country, you have to have one flight that's at least 150 nautical miles total distance with full stop landings at three different points where one of the segments is 50 nautical miles or more. And then also of your solo, your 10 total solo hours, that's part 61, five if you're part 141. Three takeoffs and landings to a full stop at an airport with an operating control tower. So you have to have at least three full stop landings, takeoffs and landings. All right, so those are the minimum flight hours. On top of that, so you could get those minimum flight hours, but you're still not certified. You kind of have to do the paperwork and get the signatures and the endorsements and stuff. So you have to have received a logbook endorsement from an authorized instructor who conducted the training or reviewed the home study of the pilot's aeronautical knowledge areas listed in part 61.105B or part 141, certified and also that has certified that the pilot is prepared for the knowledge test. So this is what we do at Part-Time Pilot. We do this all online. I am authorized to give the endorsement for private sport and recreational pilots for a private pilot's license. So when you go through our online ground school, and most online ground schools do this, when you are done, we have you take three practice tests for score. And we have, before that, we have a bunch of quizzes. So you'll be well prepared for these practice tests. And we want to see an average of 80% or more. If you have 80% or more, I'm going to give you that endorsement because it has you have proven to me that so I'm the authorized instructor who has either conducted the training or reviewed your home study. So I, in our online ground school, it's a little bit of both, right? I'm, I'm sort of conducting your training when I'm on the lives or in the Facebook group and through our course, but then also you're, you have the home study portion of it. So it's kind of a combination of both uh, of all those knowledge areas in the FARS. And then I'm certifying that you're prepared for the test by your practice test scores. And then what we'll also do is we'll also give you a test 
uh, practice test report, which basically we break down the questions that you're getting wrong and we look for patterns in the ones that you're getting wrong. We also ask you to answer some questions in your own words. And the combination of these two things gives us enough data points to find the gaps in your knowledge that you might have so that we can say, hey, this is the area you're lacking. Let's, you know, let's review this. Let's ask some questions. I might have you come on the live lesson if, you, if you're brave enough to, or just come up with some questions over email for me. And we try and iron out those gaps in your knowledge that we found through that report. And sometimes it's just one or two things that these students have, have a gap in. It takes them from like an 81% or 86% all the way up to a 95 to 100%. So it's usually just these one or two things and we just find that missing key element and it really makes a difference. And that is that is the reason why we have yet to have a student pilot fail uh, their FA written exam. And if you were to not get an 80% on the practice test, that's okay. We're still gonna work with you. We're still gonna get you there. We still do that practice test report, find those gaps. You just might have, instead of one or two gaps, you might have three or four gaps or four or five maybe. So we're still going to find those gaps. We're still going to work with you through that. And then we'll give you more practice tests once we've sort of reviewed those areas. And we usually see a jump of 10 to 15% each, each, each round of practice tests. And we'll get you to the point where you do have that above 80% average. And again, because on the real thing, you have to score a 70% or above the pass. So that 80% above, if the FAA were to come out tomorrow with brand new, brand new questions that we have, that they didn't notify us about because they like to do that every once in a while. Uh, and so if that happens and you were to have, you know, brand new questions that, that you know, the concepts are the same, but the questions are new, that 10% buffer should allow you to, to still pass the exam. So that's why we want to see an 80% exam average. But I got to say, a lot of students take the real thing and they say, wow, it's exactly like your practice test. So, so but we, we don't want to take any, any risks. We want to make sure you pass. That's one of the, the goals of our online ground school is to help you not redo anything. Because when you redo things, that is the number one driver to cost as a private pilot. And the added cost is the number one reason private pilots, student pilots stop and they fail because it just gets too expensive. So the number one thing you can do is avoid those additional added costs by repeating lessons, having to retake tests. So that's why we don't take any chances. So back to what we're talking about, receive a logbook endorsement. So that is what we give you. We give you an endorsement that you can print off. You can make a copy, tape it in your logbook, and then have a copy to take with you to the testing center. You'll need that to get into your test at the testing center for your FAA written exam. So you need that. So you need all those hours we talked about, those flight hours to get a private pilot's license, you need to receive a logbook endorsement for the written exam. Then you need to pass the, the written exam or the knowledge test on aeronautical knowledge areas listed in part 61.105B. So you have to receive an endorsement for the test, then you have to pass the test. And that's what part-time pilot helps you do. Then you have to receive the flight training that we talked about, all those hours, you know, the 40 hours total, 20 dual, 10 solo. You have to receive all that flight training and then receive a logbook endorsement from the instructor who conducted the training for you. So conducted the training in the areas of operation listed in part 61.107B. So 
And we'll, we'll get to the, those areas of training. They're also mentioned in what's called the Private Pilot ACS, Airman Certificate Standards. So it breaks it all those hours down into more. So what kind of maneuvers you have to know, all these you know, types of landings, maneuvers, skills you'll have to know within those hours of flight. So the, the instructor who conducted those trainings has to be the one that endorsed you. And they have to certify that the pilot's prepared for their practical test. So just like the written, the written exam, you have to receive an endorsement that says you're ready for the written exam and then use that endorsement to take and pass the written exam. You have to do the same thing for your practical check ride. You have to receive an endorsement from your instructor, your flight instructor that says you're ready for the practical practical test. And then you have to use that endorsement to take and pass your practical check ride. Okay, so those things on top of your minimum flight hours are what you need to become a private pilot. Uh, and then you have to pass the practical tests on the areas of operation listed in 61.107B. Again, that is basically the private pilot ACS. The ACS is the best thing when you're preparing for your checkride, one of the best free tools you can look. It tells you exactly what requirements you have to meet for every single skill. And it's gonna be basically the, the examiner's checklist of what they're going through. All right, and then finally, you have to comply with the appropriate sections of part 61 and meet the aeronautical experience experience requirements of part 61 that we talked about so you have to meet all you have to continuously meet the currency requirements and comply with the appropriate rules and regulations of part 61. okay so quick review of the qualifications is just to say that to be able to be pic you have to have a third class medical you have to have either a student pilot certificate or a private pilot certificate and a government photo id you have to be at least 16 years old. You have to be able to read, write, and speak English. You have to have the required minimum number of flight hours. You know, that's the 40 total, 20 dual, 10 solo, and all the other ones that we talked about. You have to receive a logbook endorsement for your FA written, and then you have to use that endorsement to pass the FA written. You have to re receive a logbook endorsement for your flight training, and then you use that endorsement to take and pass your FAA checkride with an FAA examiner. And then you have to comply with all the rules of part 61. So that is what you need to do to be a PIC. I have, it's a lot, I know, but I have uh, broken this down into a video that I will link in the show notes. It's called, How Many Hours Do You Need for a Private Pilot's License? So again, it breaks down those hours once more if you wanna watch that sort of like in a slideshow and get that visual, that visual aid that you, <clears throat> you might want, a little bit different medium. Uh, there's one more part of this lesson that I want to talk about, and that is currency. So I mentioned in order to, so I talked about what you need to get a private pilot's license to be a PIC, but then there's things you have to do to stay current as a private pilot so you can remain eligible to be a PIC. Once you get your private pilot's license, it, it's not like you can just be a PIC forever without meeting any additional requirements. You have to stay what they call current. In order to be a PSC of an aircraft as a holder of a private pilot certificate, you must meet the following currency requirements. So you have to have, they break it down to day currency to carry passengers, night currency to carry passengers, and then a biannual flight review just for either to carry passengers or fly solo. So first let's talk about what you need to stay current to, to be allowed to be a PIC carrying passengers. So 
for flight during the daylight hours. In order to carry passengers, a private pilot must have logged three takeoffs and three landings within the preceding 90 days. Okay, so in the last 90 days, you have to have three takeoffs and three landings during the day if you want to carry passengers during the day. The landings do not have to be a full stop for, for the day currency. This applies to each aircraft category, class, and type. So remember in the last episode, we talked about aircraft, certificates of aircraft. We talked about category, class, and type. So in other words, if you get current in a Cessna 172, you are not current in a Piper Cherokee Warrior. So you have to be, it applies for each aircraft category, class, and type. So if you take three takeoffs and landings in the last 90 days in a Cessna, you can't go take passengers in a Cherokee unless you've also had three takeoffs and landings in that aircraft in the last 90 days. For tailwheel aircraft, the three takeoffs and landings have to be a full stop. So if it's a nose wheel aircraft, they don't have to be a full stop. If it's tailwheel aircraft, they are required to be a full stop. The reason why is because those tailwheel aircraft have more dynamics on landing. So they want you to stay current on those dynamic landings with that tailwheel tailwheel aircraft. Then for night currency for passengers, so this is the to be eligible to carry night to carry passengers at night. A private pilot must have logged three takeoffs and landings to a full stop. So remember day currency passengers, it didn't have to be to a full stop unless it was a tailwheel. At night, they have to be to a full stop and they have to be from the time, from the nighttime definition for currency, which is, so there's different definite, as we go through this training in this audio ground school, you're going to hear different definitions of night. And this is just the FAA's painful way of making things difficult on us. There's three different definitions of night. We'll get to, we'll talk about those later, but for currency requirements, you have one specific definition of night, and that is between one hour after sunset and one hour before sunrise. So sunset is at 6.30 p.m. Your takeoffs and landings to be considered night have to be after 7.30 p.m. Between 7.30 p.m. and then let's say sunrise is 5.30 a.m. So one hour before that, so 4.30 a.m. So that would be between 7.30 p.m. and 4.30 a.m. to be considered night. For, and they have to be to full stop. Three takeoff, three landings, full stop in the preceding 90 days. And again, they have to be in the same category, class, and type of aircraft, just like for the day currency. So for night, for uh, passenger currency, three takeoffs and landings in the last 90 days. For day, they don't have to be for, to a full stop. For night, they have to be to a full stop. And they have to be, for both, they have to be the same category, class, and type. If you're doing a tailwheel aircraft in the day, they do have to be to a full stop. Okay, now, what about if you don't wanna carry passengers, you just wanna stay current to fly solo by yourself or you know anybody? That's called a biannual flight review. Each holder of a private pilot certificate must complete a flight review every 24 calendar months in order to be the PIC of an aircraft with or without passengers. So just with or without passengers to be a PIC, you have to do this every two years, every 24 calendar months. And again, calendar months means you get the, the end of that month. So if you, if you had a flight review on January 15th, 2022, then you have until January 31st, right, to, to get that flight review of 2024. So you get that the, till the end of the month. The flight review consists of a minimum 
a one hour of ground training and one hour of flight training. So it's a minimum. That's the minimum. But if, and this is with a flight instructor, and you, they have to give proof of your flight review via a logbook endorsement. They say, I've you know, I've certified that we've done the minimum one hour of ground training and one hour of flight training. They may, this flight instructor may say that they're not going to endorse you because that you need more than one hour of flight training. Um, I recently took some time off from flying to save some money. And when I went back, I had to, I had to do, and this, this was also a personal choice. I didn't want to just do one hour. I wanted to get comfortable again with someone that I knew was current and, and was good with the aircraft. So it took me three flights before I was comfortable. They would have signed me off. Probably I could have gotten assigned off after the second one, but I wanted to do an extra flight until I felt comfortable. I felt like I had all my proficiency back and I felt good flying by myself. So that's how you should tackle it as well. Don't just follow the minimum. If you know, it is just over two months and you do just need that one hour, then then maybe. Okay. But be smart about it and make sure that you're current and proficient. Okay. So that is the currency requirements that you'll need once you have that private pilot's license to, to maintain the ability to, to be a PIC, you have to stay current. And those are the requirements. Okay, so that has been lesson three of section three on pilot and command. I kind of forgot about us talking about the currency requirements. So that's actually going to be it for this episode. So next episode, episode 12, is when we'll get into pilot for hire limitations. And then we'll also get into alcohol and drugs. And if we have time, incidents, accidents, and emergencies. So thank you guys for watching. As a reminder, check out the Student Pilot Cast podcast. I was lucky enough to be on episode number 64 with Bill. It's a great episode if you want to listen more of my voice. Gross, right? Uh, if you do not want to, to listen to me, I still re highly recommend checking that podcast out because he, again, he has audio in the cockpit and it's, it's a very valuable tool as a student pilot. It really helps you feel like, oh, that you know, there's other people out there going through the same stuff as I am. And then I wanted to mention, uh, please follow me on our social medias a lot of great information and i give out deals and tips scholarship i just the other day posted out there's a some scholarship thing out there in the united states that are closing soon some applications that you as a student pilot can apply to anywhere from you know from anywhere and they're closing up soon at the end of the year so i just posted stuff about that i'll do that all the time to help the student pilots uh on instagram it's at part period time period pilot at part period time period pilot so a period between each of part-time pilot and on tiktok it's the same thing and again i just do informational things for you guys and then youtube is youtube.com part-time pilot again a ton of free content there for you guys so thank you for listening check us out on the social media check out bill's student pilot cast podcast and i will see you guys next week for episode number 12. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after 
three years, five instructors, and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time, everything's great and dandy. Once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid 
being boring. You want to avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA check ride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, and we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.